Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Janice, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, August 29th, 2013. We are reading from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Today we are in How It Works on page 69, and we'll begin with the paragraph at the bottom of that page, whatever our ideal turns out to be. The share code for yesterday, which was Wednesday, August 28th, is 5039. That's 5039. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members we are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I'd now like to ask Diane, to please read the 12 steps. Good morning. This is Diane from New Hampshire. Can you hear me? Loud and clear, Miss Diane. Oh, thank you. 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made amends, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overreaders and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you so very much, my pastor. Thank you, Diane. I'd now like to ask Sharon H. to please read the 12 traditions. Good morning, Jan. This is Sharon. Can you hear me? 
I can hear you great. All right, thank you. I'm a compulsive overeater. Welcome to everyone on the line. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. <clears throat> Excuse me. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, Every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communications. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Sharon. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today, we are going to resume our study. We are in Chapter 5, How It Works, in the Big Book. And we are on page 69. And we're going to begin at the bottom of that page in the paragraph that starts whatever our ideal turns out to be. And I'd like to ask uh, Kathy Kay to please read that first paragraph for us. Good morning, Janice. Uh, good morning, Vision for You. This is Kathy, a recovered compulsive overeater. Whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to grow toward it. 
We must be willing to make amends where we have done harm, provided that we do not bring about still more harm in doing so. In other words, we treat sex as we would any other problem. In meditation, we ask God what we should do about each specific matter. The right answer will come if we want it. So um, we've just finished uh, our sex ideal, which uh, yesterday we we uh, talked about and read about how that's a, a good vision of what we want to work towards in our relationships with others. Um, and I remember when I wrote my sex ideal, um, I felt so... Uh, graced um, by uh, this capacity to imagine something so much more wholesome and uh, intimate and um, God-filled than I had ever experienced in my life. And I remember my big book sponsor um, uh, suggesting that I read it um, periodically, just to remind myself of um, what I was uh, hoping to become um, as a result of doing this work, and also to remind myself that this vision was created um, not just by me, but me in partnership with God. And I have to say it's this reading this week that has prompted me to go back and look at it once again. Um, I actually wrote it a number several years ago, and um, it still is beautiful, and it still um, helps me remember uh, the principles that uh, I want to guide my life, uh, and in particular, guide my relationships with others. So I'm very grateful that this is the way we complete uh, the sex inventory. Um, It it really gives me a lot of hope and gives me um, the direction I need to move forward. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kathy. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Well, this is Janice, and I'm going to dive into these waters here. Oh, um, Irini, and who else did I hear? Monica. All right, we'll start with Irini and then Monica. Thank you, Janice. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irini, gratefully recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. So in order to grow towards our ideals, towards something new, something that will do good in our lives, we need to first pray to God. We need to pray for his help, and then we need to listen, and then we need to do. And then we have to be willing to grow towards it. It's mentioned twice. We need to take, we need to do this by taking and practicing each step of the program. By living it, by inhaling it, we act it out until it becomes our reality. But the key word here is willing. 
willing to grow towards it. You know, we want to move away from our old behaviors to change and develop and to move closer to what God would have us be. If we're not willing, then we cannot change or grow. But if we're willing to grow, then we are ready to make the right choices and not be governed by our feelings. It's about having a change of heart. It's softening our hearts and placing it in the hands of God. So it's so soft, soft enough for God to mold, to mold us into the shape that he wants us to become. We can't have willingness without action because then it will be just like an ideal existing in our heads. So we have to practice how to change. Willingness has to follow with action and doing and not just thinking. We make amends to those we have hurt. We are correcting what we have done wrong, being very careful not to make matters worse and to just treat sex as we would treat any other problem, to change for the better, to improve and be a better person today than we were yesterday. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Irini. Go ahead, Monica. Thank you, Janice. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica. I am a recovered compulsive overeater, and thank you, Irini. You you took um, my words. We must be willing to grow towards it. We must be willing to make amends where we have done wrong, where we have done harm. What are amends? Set right something that is wrong. And here, like she said, the, the, the key word is willing, and we see it twice, willing, willing, willing. And then it goes on to say, provided that we do not bring still more harm in doing so. So right here, they're talking about there may be some amends that may be needed in the sex um, area, but but don't be jumping to conclusions here. We're, this is step um, four. We're still on step four here. And your amends are not until step nine. And that is something that you will go over with your sponsor, which people will need direct amends and which will not, because we do, like it says here, we do not want to harm anybody. So don't get worried and nervous about this right now. Right now, it's willing to grow, willing to change. And it says, in meditation, we ask God what we should do about each specific matter. You know, and, this, and that's the whole basis here for this whole program. It's God, it's God, it's God. It's learning to take God with us everywhere, everywhere and in everything we do. And the right answer will come if we want it. You know, if we pray to God in meditation and ask for answers, they will come. And I have a little note here to Monica. Monica, you got to wait for the answer most of the time, you know. And uh, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Monica. Well, this is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. This this part of our four-step inventory was was extremely necessary and very profound to me, very profound, because it, it reminded me of the bondage of self. You know, what what is it that's blocking me in every aspect in every area of my life was the bondage of self. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we thought was the root of our problem, you know. And so it was going to appear in this part of my inventory as well. You know, this part of my inventory where I was going to review my conduct, my sex conduct, it was going to appear here too. And 
whatever our ideal turns out to be, you know, we've been spending some time here studying about what they suggested, what worked for them, was to put it down on paper once again. You know, part of the inventory process was writing it all down. You know, and some of this made me very uncomfortable. Well, the whole course that made me uncomfortable. But this part made me especially uncomfortable. I wasn't used to looking closely and clearly at all areas, especially this area of my life, and looking at my conduct here, looking at my conduct here. And so doing that, I had to be willing to look at it from all aspects. You know, and I was taught we cannot run away from the food. We can only grow away from the food. And that means I have to grow in effectiveness and understanding. I have to grow in my use of the principle. I have to grow away from that bondage of self. You know, it, and it meant that I could pray about this. You know, this paragraph says, in meditation, we ask God about this area of our lives, this sex conduct. I remember reading it going, what? I can even pray to God about this? You know, in prayer and meditation, many things oftentimes are revealed to me. New ways of thinking, new ways of acting on life often come from that close connection that comes in prayer and meditation. And it says to me that I can start doing that right now, right here, right now. I can ask in prayer and meditation. As I'm taking this inventory, you know, what, what can I do to improve in this area, in this area? And, and we ask God what we should do about each specific matter. So each thing that seems problematic, that seems insurmountable, that seems more uncomfortable than I can bear to feel, if I pray about it, that's always going to be my first place to find ease and comfort. You know, and that's what I was looking for all along, you know, to find a place of ease and comfort, even as I'm doing the inventory. And so I'm so grateful that they tell us right here, right now, that we can look at these things and we can get through it, even though it might be a very uncomfortable part of our inventory. You know, for me, it was going it alone had always been my mode of operating. But I didn't have to go it alone, even here. Even here. I could look and ask God what that ideal might be, what I might be trying to attempt, and what direction I want to move in it. So with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Sally. Go ahead, Sally. Sally and then Miriam. Thank you. Thank you, Janice. Good morning. Good morning, a vision for you. It's Sally, recovered in South Jersey. So this um, paragraph starts out with whatever our ideal turns out to be, and that sort of harps back to the paragraph before, where it starts, in this way we tried to shape a sane and sound ideal. How long did I try to do a lot of things before I got to the point where I was willing to simply ask God to mold my ideals and help me to live up to them? That is something I see as really important, to stop trying and be instead asking God to do for me what I couldn't do for myself. 
In every aspect of the steps, I see that. So it goes on to say, whatever our ideals turn out to be, and we shall see, we must be willing to grow toward it. We must be willing to make amends where we have done harm. What a strange thing that we're here in step four, and that this particular sentence is plopped in the middle of this paragraph. We must be willing to make amends where we have done harm. What's interesting to me about this is that what it says to me is that in the process of doing our fourth column on, of, these, of these different um, inventories that we're doing in step four, we are hopefully being led to a place of remorse. The word remorse appears over 16 times in different ways in the big book. I was taking a good look at remorse um, in my studies this past weekend. And when I took a look at this particular word in the big book, I thought it was so interesting. The word remorse is sort of a turning point where we no longer are we so focused on our justifying ourselves. But instead, we are now looking at our own behaviors. We are, there, we are at the end of step four here in the chapter. We're coming to the end. And so here we suddenly they bring up this making amends process that's, that's not in our sights yet. And yet when we consider the possibility that in doing this fourth column, hopefully it will lead us to a place of remorse or sorrow. And this sorrow should lead us to a readiness to make things right. That's what's being told here. This sorrow should lead us to a place where we are willing to make things right. Ultimately, we'll, we'll be led to steps eight and nine and making amends on some of these, some of these very things we're writing about. But that's what's being said here. We must be willing to make amends. We must be willing to take a good look at ourselves. We must come to a place where we can experience remorse, a sorrowness from my part. Yes, they may be culpable. Yes, they may have had a very big part to play in what's upsetting me and what I've written down in these, in these columns. But yes, I played a part. Inevitably, I always played a part. And here we're being prepared, prepared to see our part, prepared to take responsibility, prepared to have some deep sorrow, and prepared to come to a place where we're, met, where we're ready to set things right, to make amends. And that brings us down to this last sentence. In meditation, not in prayer, in meditation, the difference is when I pray, I talk to God. I'm really good at talking to God. I've got great Santa Claus lists, great things that I can just spackle off what needs to be done today, God. Here's what I need. Here's what I want. But in meditation, I listen. I stop. I'm silent. And I give God a chance to speak and impress my mind. We ask God what we should do about each specific matter that requires an openness, an honesty, a willingness. The right answer will come if we want it. Thanks for letting me share, Janice. With that, I pass. Thank you, Sally. Go ahead, Miriam. Thank you, Janice. This is Miriam calling from Israel, a compulsive overeater, living in the solution one day at a time. So grateful to be here and to 
you know, we are coming into the end of uh, step four where we have seen our, you know, our resentments and our fears and our sex conduct and, and general conduct towards other people. Uh, very interesting to see that this paragraph says here, uh, whatever our ideals turn out to be, we must be willing to grow towards it. We must be willing to make amends where we have done harm, provided that we do not bring a about still more harm in so do, doing. Here is definitely saying a must instead of a suggestion because uh, uh, really if we don't continue with the process and we don't continue looking at our behavior and taking responsibility over it, uh, it's very, very easy to just go back to the same kind of behavior and, and go back to the food or whatever we use. and. Uh, this paragraph is saying very clear here that we we need to take responsibility over uh, over the the things that we do, and in order to change, of course, you know we need to bring again our higher power into the picture. Uh, this program and this uh, it, it's it's a journey back to whoever you call a higher power. It's a journey to realize that. It's okay, you know, we make a lot of mistakes, we're human, we are, we've been trying our best, but now, you know, that we know the answer, that we are powerless about our life in general, we invite a higher power in our life in every single thing. And it's just amazing. Um, there's so much into it, how, you know, since I've been doing that, how my life inside is like a spiritual surgery that that happened that he he does it for us thank you for letting me share i pass thank you miriam would anyone else like to comment before we move on lois go ahead lois hi good morning janice good morning my my um my friends um, i would like to comment where it says in other words we treat sex as we would any other problem in meditation, we ask God what we should do about each specific matter. The right answer will come if we want it. Well, for me, this was the beginning of just prying open, you know, my um, unconscious mind, you know, to um, to take a look at my behavior, not what was done to me, but what the way I looked at certain situations as a victim. And we asked God what we should do was the beginning of helping me and teaching me that I am responsible. I am a responsible person today. I'm responsible for my past behavior, even though at the time I did what I could do with who I was at that time. And in this present time, you know, that I can decide, you know, what is the right thing for me to do. So, you know, for me, it was, it was uh, the coming of, um, of a freedom, a freedom that, you know, I wasn't just reacting to everything in, in the past. That, that's the way I saw my behavior. I was reacting to other people that I was, I was the actor and that I could take a look at this. And I did have, you know, I did have, with responsibility, I had the freedom to choose, you know, yes or no, go or stay, leave, 
come on, you know, so that the right answer will come if I want it. And and that was a promise I, I put beside that. The right answer will come if we want it. And um, this, like other situations and, and chapters in the big book for me, has always delivered what it promises. And uh, with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lois. Well, let's move on to the next paragraph. And Penny C., would you read that for us? Good morning. Thank you, Janice, and thank you for everybody for being here with me this morning. God alone can judge our sex situation. Counsel with persons is often desirable, but we let God be the final judge. We realize that some people are as fanatical about sex as others are loose. We avoid hysterical thinking or advice. And, you know, for so many of us that... People I've heard in the rooms over the years and on on these bridge lines, this is a subject that's very, very difficult to talk about, as we've said before. And for me, I go back to page 68 and the bottom of that page. And when I first encountered these pages in the big book, this really rang true for me. One set of voices cry that sex is a lust of our lower nature, a base necessity of procreation. And indeed, that's how I grew up in the strict tradition, religious tradition that I, I grew up in and in, 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 in my, my um, parochial school days. So that it was, you know, it was thought to be at least how I interpreted that, you know, anything to do with sex was sinful unless it was, you know, within within the realm of marriage and procreation. And to think that anything along along these lines could be pleasurable was was unthinkable. Just unthinkable. And so I was taught to judge my own actions and even thoughts. I remember confessing that I even had a, a thought about anything to do with the opposite sex. Not not necessarily the action, but even if I mean even flirtation was considered terribly sinful. And so it took a long time for me to be able to even be present when this was talked about in the rooms. So to hear then that I need to let God judge my sex situation. And I go back again to where it says that all of these qualities, all of these aspects of my personality are God-given. And if they're God-given, they're good. They're good. It depends on how we use them. And I embrace that part of me now. You know, I, I denied. I For so long, I denied that I needed to think about any of this in in the big book, because after all, I had already learned to put that out of my out of my mind and and even out of my my actions, which I really hadn't. But I love the idea that, like everything else, I look to God as my judge, and realize that you know I don't have to be hysterical, as it says here, or fanatical about the way that I think about it. I thank God. I thank God for what is what is 
my sexuality, which does not necessarily have anything to, to do with the fact. It simply has to do with who God made me and how God made me. And God made me as a sexual being, and thank God, you know, attracted to other people, whether it be, whether it be the other gender or for some of us um, on the line, it's someone of the same gender. But God gave us this, this part of us that attracts us to other people and indeed leads to spirituality. I've read and studied about, you know, how sex and spirituality are so closely entwined. And for that, I'm really, really grateful that I have this new outlook that I can even talk like I am now on a recorded meeting is is far from anything I thought I'd ever achieve. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Penny. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? This is Kim. Go ahead, Miss Kim. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. God alone can judge our sex situation. We let God be the final judge. We avoid, avoid hysterical thinking or advice. You know, what is the purpose of AA? What is the purpose of a sponsor helping a sponsee? It's to get them a connection with God. We're not here to give advice. You know, and I say that because I spent years in OA telling people who to date, telling people different things about their marriages, when I couldn't manage my own life. I couldn't manage my own life, and yet I'm thinking I can manage someone else's. So they're letting us know that we are, that each individual needs to get a connection with God. That's what I can help you do. I can help you get that connection. I can help you walk through these steps to get that connection so that God can help you find that, what that ideal is for you. You know, I spent so much time confused. You know, what was the church telling me versus what was MTV telling me? What was my family telling me versus what the magazines told me? So I have to get quiet with God and find out what that ideal is. We were told on page 69, one school would allow man no flavor for his fare, and the other would have us on a straight pepper diet. And we're always, so many compulsive overeaters are all or nothing, black or white, no gray. So they're saying here, only God can judge our sex situation. So let's get unblocked. Let's get unblocked. And then we can make decisions with that connection with God. And it is not the role of other people in program to tell you what that ideal is. I cannot tell you who to date. I cannot tell you who to break up with, who to stay with. That is between you and God. So let's put this down on paper. Let's look at sex the same way we looked at our resentment, the same way we looked at our fears. And then we're going to ask God in such situations so that we can find peace as a sexual being. We can find peace. So for some of us, it might be going more towards that no flavor fair. Maybe some of us have been a little crazy and we need to back up a little bit. And maybe some of us are so rigid that we need to loosen up a little bit. I know that's the thought I was on. I was so terrified of sex. I had to realize that sex could be fun. My God, sex could be fun. Whereas other people might have gone on the other end and had to ease back on sex being a connection between two people. And whatever that medium is, 
I'm going to read it again. Sex alone, sex, God alone, sorry, God alone can judge our sex situation. We let God be the final judge, and we avoid hysterical thinking or advice. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? Um, this is Barbara from St. Louis. Could I share? Go ahead, Barbara. Oh, wow. It's so exciting to talk to 200 of you, oh, of my fellow OAs. Um, this uh, paragraph spoke to me because um, when I was in program and getting recovery and losing my weight, and as my body size was going down, I started to get panicky. I started to wonder if, because when I was a younger person, I did not have great judgment when it came to sex. I did not know how to use this God-given gift terribly well. And I think that happens to a lot of us um, and when we have these these uh, issues of shame around our bodies, and that um, comes with weight, and it comes with you know just compulsive everything. And I had this layer for years. I'd had this layer of I hadn't realized protective fat that kept me from my poor judgment, and suddenly that was going away, and it was terrifying. Um, and I had to really rely on the higher power, and I, I was really grateful for this program just all the way through that it wasn't just about losing the weight. It was about learning how to rely on God for all of these these really hard decisions that we have to make about our bodies and um, sexuality and that we can rely on God for that. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Barbara. Well, this is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. I'd just like to comment on one thing that it says in this paragraph, which is counsel with other counsel with persons is often desirable. Counsel with persons is often desirable. And to me, that was one more way in which I realized I'd been going it alone, you know, totally self-sufficient. You know, maybe I am oh so human, I said to myself. Maybe I have to look at this sex conduct, but I don't have to do it alone. Counsel with others. Now, there were people, very safe, very wonderful, very accepting, recovered people who I talked to these things. I, I talked to them about these things. You know, it was a difficult conversation to have. But I was able to do it because they shared their own experience with me. They opened their hearts and shared with me what they had done with this very same inventory process, what they had done. You know, that is one of the things that I think is oh so beautiful about this 12-step recovery program is that we can share with each other. You know, and, and maybe the ideal is up to me because it's between me and the God of my understanding. But it doesn't mean that I have to try to figure it out all by myself. And once again, they're showing me that talking it over with other people oftentimes is a wonderful thing, but that we all come to our own ideal when we have this connection building, growing, moving within us. You know, things start to be revealed to us. Our thought processes open up for everyone's higher good, 
you know, not, and our own in this inventory process. So it was it was just wonderfully comforting to me to have those people that I could discuss this with, and and it made for my life experience much more accepting for myself that I could accept myself because there were other people who had experienced some of these same things as well and were willing to share with me. So with that, I'll pass. And let's move on to the next paragraph. And Katie, could you read that for us? Good morning. This is Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. Suppose we fall short of the chosen ideal and stumble. Does this mean we're going to get drunk? Some people tell us so. But this is only a half-truth. It depends on us and on our motives. If we are sorry for what we have done and have the honest desire to let God take us to better things, we believe we will be forgiven and we'll have learned our lesson. If we are not sorry and our conduct continues to harm others, we are quite sure to drink. We are not theorizing. These are facts out of our experience. Um, and, you know, this just goes along with what uh, we've been saying in the previous paragraphs that it's the heart of the matter. It's what is our, um, has our thinking and our action completely fallen back to our old behavior of manipulation and control, or did we just have a momentary slip in our judgment and, um, and forgot uh, what our ideal was? Um, you know, if we were perfect and we never made another mistake as long as we lived, then we would not need this program anymore. You know, especially um, for, you know, we're, we're uh, compulsive overeaters on this line. You know, if we, you know, once we got to our goal weight and we're thin, then we never, um, everything else just fell into place and we never had another problem then, you know, why would we be still on this line, you know, 25 years later? Um, but we do, we can fall into, you know, self-centeredness and, and um, self-propulsion and just thinking that we have to take the reins back. Um, you know, this is especially true if you're single, like I was. Uh, for years, you know, I was single in this program and thought, you know, I just need to make this thing happen here. You know, I need to I need to get back in control my way my way worked and, you know, oh well, what was I thinking that I could have that new ideal? But, you know, thank God for uh this program that you know, it didn't become a way of life again. And so you know, that's where the problem is, is if we uh, go back to our old ways. But, you know, we are still in step four here in what we're, we're doing. I mean, this is, you know, talking about stumbling so um, way down the line. But at this point in our um, journey, we are looking at step four. And I guess the thing to look at is the fact that even though you put it down on paper and you put it as an ideal, don't be afraid to put it down on paper and set it as an ideal because you think you can't live up to it. Because this program is one day at a time and God does and has given me the strength to um, live out my ideal one day at a time 
um, in my sex conduct and in my uh, the other areas of my life. Um, if I got at a microscope, would I find that, you know, or if my thought life was projected on a screen, would it be uh, perfect? No. But I do not go back to a way of life that is, you know, how I lived prior to recovery. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Marjorie? Go ahead, Marjorie. Good morning. This is Marjorie. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. One of the things that this paragraph points out, it's kind of a shift in attitude. It points out that we get to learn from our own experience. I get to learn from my own experience. I don't have to stay in that sense of remorse. And it and it says it um, in that phrase, and uh, we will be forgiven and will have learned our lesson. And then at the very end it says, these are facts out of our experience. To learn from my own experience sets me up for turning my experience into an asset. And a few chapters from now, we're going to hear how that experience comes to be the greatest asset that we have. So while I might feel pretty bad about my part in this, I'm going to see how it's going to pay off later. Also, what this is talking about, when it's talking about motives, it's not specifically anymore looking at how did I behave towards the men in my life? It's really looking at how have I behaved in my human relationships. And as long as I'm on this planet, I am going to have human relationships. And so I'm building out of my own experience the way to live with everybody on this planet. Some people far, some people near. But here's a way of life that's going to work in every situation. Thanks for listening to me. I pass. Thank you, Marjorie. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? It's Sally. It's Monica. Go ahead, Sally, and then Monica. Thank you, Janice. I'm still Sally, recovered in South Jersey. Sally A. Um, So here we are in this new paragraph, and it strikes me that if we go back to page 69, and we go up two paragraphs, in the middle of the paragraph we see we asked God. We asked God to mold our ideals. We go down another paragraph, and we see again we asked God what we should do about each specific matter. We go to the top of 70. We let God be the final judge. And then into the paragraph that we're in, in the middle of the paragraph on the left side of the page, it says, and have the honest desire to let God. Over and over, as we are doing this particular inventory, and I believe it's really true for all of the inventories we're doing in step four, is that we are in a place of surrendering the outcomes, as I've often talked about on page 420, the bottom of the page. We're surrendering the outcome of how God is going to retrain us, help us in our thinking about how we look at sex, our motivations, 
And then finally, it comes to this last sentence here on the page, the last two sentences, which is both a promise and a warning. If we are not sorry and our conduct, and I believe that includes our motives as it talks about our motives a few sentences up. If we are not sorry and our conduct continues to harm others, we are quite sure to drink. That looks like a promise to me. We are not theorizing. These are facts out of our experience. It looks like a warning, a strong warning of what will happen if we're not honest, if we're not willing to take a look at ourselves, if we are bent on being focused on what they did and not take responsibility for our perspective, our motives, our conduct. That's what I see here. Very strong warnings. And again, it leads me to that place of here's the word sorrow. If we are not sorry, if it doesn't lead us to a place of remorse, if we don't come to a turning point where we can see our part and develop some sorrow, then we won't be led to we won't be led to be to a readiness to make things right with other people. And so this this is so beautifully. It's like it's such a little chain that's leading us. And at the, at the center of the chain, what I see over and over being expressed here is the need to surrender, to simply surrender this to God, to be just like with the food and just like with everything in our lives. Our best thinking got us here. Okay, so I'm just not going to think so hard anymore. I'm going to do more trusting in God. I'm going to do more turning to God. I'm going to do more surrendering of the outcome. And that's what I see being said to me here, with strong warning, with great promise, and, and with, with really the most wonderful thing is that infused in every one of these paragraphs is the reminder over and over, like that wave that comes over our feet at the edge of a shore, God wants to be part of every part of our life. With that, I pass. Thank you, Sally. Go ahead, Monica. Thank you, Janice. This is Monica again, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Suppose we fall short of the chosen ideal and stumble. You know, wow, it's pretty scary there, you know. What does that mean? You know, what's, what's going to happen if I stumble? And he says, you know, does this mean we're going to get drunk? Am I going to binge? Some people might say yes. But from their experience, they're saying, no, this is only a half-truth. What's really important under here. It depends on our motives. What is your motive behind this? Are you trying to use this person for something? Is this a selfish motive? What's your motives here? You know, are you trying to be loving or are you trying to use someone? And it says, and it goes on to say, if we are sorry for what we have done and have the honest desire to let God take us to better things, we believe we, we will be forgiven and will have learned our lesson. You know, there's a lot of hope in there. You know, we're not perfect. We're human beings. But what's important here is that God has put new glasses on our face and he has shown us things. And we have written a new ideal of what we would like our of what we want our behavior to be from here on out, how we want to react in sexual relations, in any type of relations with other people. 
Do I want to be a selfish, resentful, hurtful person, or do I want to be a loving person? Well, by this time, I've decided, you know, my way hasn't worked, and I want to be more loving and tolerant of everyone. So I'm going to work at this. You know, recovery is a learning process. And here we are practicing new thinking. We're changing, which leads to different behavior. So the more I think, you know, I want to try to do things differently and I'm working at doing things differently, I will start doing things differently. I have a choice. So we're saying here, you know, keep practicing this new way of living. And if your motives are good, you will get better. It will improve. And there's a lot of hope there. And they're saying, no, this is facts from our experience. They have been through this. They know. And that's so wonderful that they share their experience with us. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? It's Leah. Go ahead, Ms. Leah. Thank you so much. Suppose we fall short of the chosen ideal and stumble, and of course stumble we all know means to trip. You know, generally it's an accident. (laughs) Um, They're talking about something of a serious nature perhaps, but it's generally we're tripping, it's accidental. Uh, Does this mean we're going to get drunk? Some people tell us so, but this is only a half truth. It It depends on us and on our motives. You know, again, step four is the first action step. It was the first opportunity really in this 12-step environment uh, for me to take a look and examine my emotions and my attitudes, my outlook, uh, my views, uh, you know, on paper with a recovered person and to be able to examine and see how my personality had developed, uh, oftentimes, you know, in a very distorted, twisted uh, way. Um, So, you know, taking a look at it allowed for uh, an assessment uh, through these steps, you know, and a, and a transformation, just like the big book talks about. We have an opportunity to cast aside in this process ideas, emotions, and attitudes that were no longer working for us for new ideas, attitudes, and emotions. So this is all part of this process. If we are sorry for what we have done and have the honest desire to let God take us to better things, we believe we will be forgiven and we'll have learned our lesson. You know, because I had relied on my emotions for stability and my emotions for happiness, and of course a lot is involved emotionally when we're talking about sex relations or relations with other people, um, given, as, you know, given how much emotions fluctuate, I was on a roller coaster emotionally every day. Because I was relying on those emotions. I was just jerked around by my nose, you know, by emotions, which can be fleeting. You know, at 10 o'clock, you can feel like you're on top of the mountain, and by 3 p.m., you feel like uh, jumping off a ledge. But what if I was going to be governed by principles? What if I was going to be governed by a higher authority, such as a relationship with God? Then I had an opportunity. Then I had an opportunity for consistency and for reliability, because my reliance was going to be on something that was going to be secure and stable, you know, and, and, and indestructible, like a relationship with God and like these principles which are universal. 
you know, there's a strong warning here. You know, if we are not sorry and our conduct continues to harm others, we are quite sure to drink. Again, uh, you know, this is written in hindsight. These pages were penned by experience, the collective experience and wisdom and voice of those who had trade, uh, who had blazed this trail for our benefit. And they're saying, okay, you know, if our motives uh, are not good uh, and we're not sorry and our con- conduct continues to harm others, we're quite sure to drink. We know that because we've experienced that ourselves and we've witnessed it in the research and development committee that surrounds us. So, I mean, this is words to live by because, uh, you know, alcohol is a subtle foe. Binge foods are subtle. You know, we're not cured. We're not cured. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Just because we're recovered does not mean we rise above being human. You know, but this program of recovery can give us many, many things such as principles to live by and courage to face uh, our, our actions and honesty to recognize our role and in and take responsibility in relationships. And, of course, to persevere, you know, when we do make mistakes, because we will. So we need to persevere to stick with this program and with these steps to make better decisions in the future. But the program of recovery, we are able to embrace these challenges and embrace our shortcomings, so to speak, and allow God in this program of recovery to transform us and to continue to grow and, and deepen our connection to God and with others. And that's certainly what can happen in this program of recovery. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. We have time for one more quick share. Is there anyone who would like to share in this paragraph? All right, I'll take that as a no. So we'll close the meeting now. Thank you to everyone who has shared. Thank you to Diane and to Sharon H. for doing the steps and traditions and to Kathy K., Penny C., Katie, Irini, and everyone who shared at the meeting. Thank you all. Now we will close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Irini, could you please read that for us? Yes. Thank you, Janice. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irini, gratefully recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for a man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you have in God. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of the past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then, thank you.